This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Last week we discussed what we called a great awakening. And it is not only my belief, but the belief of many, many people across this country that God is doing something right now to stir the waters in the United States of America. And as I mean, it's just happening. And, you know, you may say, well, that's funny. I turn on the TV and I see riots and people getting beat up and shot and all this stuff. And what I say to that is exactly that is the very first ingredient to having a revival and a great awakening is when things hit rock bottom. Then God says, all right, we got to shake this up and start waking people up. And so if, if you turn on the TV and say, well, I don't believe that there's anything happening. All I see is bad stuff. That's exactly my point. It is time for an awakening. It is time for a revival. It is time for the church to wake up and get out of this, you know, halfway part time mode that we've been in for all these years. This is an exciting, wonderful, wonderful time to live in. And I believe uh, just as the Bible says in the book of Esther that you were born for such a time as this. You weren't born for this generation by some accident and, and God meant to have you been born another time. No, you are on this earth right now and it's very intentional. God puts you here right now because you have a part in the last day's revival before Jesus Christ comes. We hear that trumpet and we see our Savior in the air and He says, let's go, guys. We're going home. I'm excited. And I believe that that's going to happen one day very, very soon. And so uh, we've got an excellent, excellent um, discussion for us this morning. A couple of things before we get started. If you do need an outline for the message, you could, uh, and you didn't get one, you can raise your hand and the ushers will be glad to hand one to you. And the second thing is this. I grabbed this little book out of the bookstore. It's called Living at the End of Time by Kenneth Copeland. Just a little book here, uh, five bucks. But I'm telling you this, it will explain a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today and knowing that Jesus is coming back. And um, anyway, it's this is an exciting time to live in. So let's go ahead and open in prayer. And we're going to get into this message. And I ask you to, to listen up and plug in and pay attention today, because I know that Jesus wants to speak directly into your life. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you, Lord, uh, so much that you chose us to live at the time that we live in. Lord, this is an awesome, awesome uh, opportunity and a place to be. So, God, I pray in Jesus name that as we open up the word of God today, that you will speak to each person here. You'll open our eyes and show us what we need to be doing for you and for your kingdom, because every person in here has a call to do something for you, Lord. They have a call to bring about an awakening of God in this generation. We thank you for it, and we ask you to have your way today. In the name of Jesus, everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, so the first thing uh, we're going to say today is this. Number one is that we are ripe for an awakening. As I said, we I mean, things are perfectly, I mean, almost textbook set up for an awakening. And you remember last time or last week, we talked a little bit about, you know, some of these great uh, revivals and awakenings that have taken place in the United States. And we had the first great awakening in the 1730s and 40s. And then uh, the next generation in the 1800s, we had the second great awakening, had this great preacher named Charles Finney uh, that personally led over 500,000 people to the Lord. It was an incredible thing. And and again, these were at times when society and culture was going down and things were looking super bad, but that's when God showed up because hungry people and passionate Christians decided, I'm not just going to sit by and watch everybody go to hell. I'm going to do something about it. And if you're a born again Christian, there should be something on the inside of you that absolutely breaks when you know that somebody's not right with God and that somebody, if they were to die right now, they would go to hell. That should crush you. That should tear you apart. You should not be okay with this. You should not be okay knowing that there are people going to hell. And again, I we won't go into all the theology right now, but I can prove to you that hell is real. Hell is real. And heaven is absolutely real. And there's only two choices where you get to go when you die. There's no, there's no other choice. It's heaven or hell. People go to both places. And a lot more people go to hell, it says. But listen to me. This is the time to wake up and start taking the things of God seriously. So I'm going to show you a, an Old Testament passage here in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Amen. And we got a few verses here I want you to look at. Isaiah chapter 5. 
And I believe that this speaks to us in 2017 even more than ever. Isaiah chapter five, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 24. Now, this may seem kind of like some of these verses may not seem real positive and uplifting, like you don't want to probably put this on your refrigerator. But the truth of the matter is this, is that this is in the Bible. okay? and we're going to look at this and we're going to get to the, you know, some uplifting stuff. I promise you, you are going to be built up today. But look at this. Isaiah writing of also a sinful time that they were going through, he says, what sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. They even mock God and say, hurry up and do something. We want to see what you can do. Let the Holy One of Israel carry out his plan, for we want to know what it is. And we live in a generation of mockers. It says right here, there's sorrow. It's awful for these people. And then here you are standing up for what's right. And they're coming after you. They're saying, all right, yeah, I want to see what your God can do. Yeah. Yeah, come on, hurry up. Well, let's 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 see the power of God. Let's see. And they don't mean it. They're mocking you and they're mocking God. And I'll encourage you that Psalm one says, don't stand around with mockers. Do not surround your if you're surrounded by mockers. That's a bad situation to be in because they're going to pay the price. And you don't want to get caught up in that, man. So don't stand around with mockers, according to Psalm one. But there are a lot of mockers even in our generation. But look at this. Verse 20. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. The dark is light and light is dark. The bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. My God, if that doesn't explain a lot of people that I know. You know, oh, they're, they're way beyond, you know, this Bible stuff right here. They, you know, I mean, I've got some, some nephews that are both in medical school. They're, they're gonna be, one's gonna be a surgeon. Very, 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 very intelligent. But at this point, I'm way beyond all that, man. I'm beyond that. I'm, I'm smarter than that. I've got more. And it says, what sorrow for those who think that they are so clever and so wise. Because in the end, that is absolutely, you are not smarter than God. I don't care who you are. You are not smarter than God Almighty. And unfortunately, there will come a day, it says, where every knee will bow. Every knee. I don't care who you are. There will be a day where you're going to bow your knees and you're going to have to confess, all right, Jesus Christ is Lord. If you do it in this life, you do it on this earth, guess what? You're going to heaven. But some people, it's going to be after judgment day and it's going to be too late. And they'll admit, they'll have to admit, Jesus Christ, yeah, he's Lord. But at that point, it's too late. So let's keep looking here. Uh, Verse 22. What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. They take bribes to let the wicked go free and they punish the innocent. Therefore, just as fire licks up stubble and dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots will rot and their flowers wither. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of heaven's armies. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. And so... There is a day coming where everybody will have to admit and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for these people right now that are that are that are mockers that are, you know, they they can boast about all the alcohol they can hold. But I mean, is that something you want to boast about? That's pathetic. And it says sorrow, sorrow's coming. What sorrow awaits these people? And so you could be on the fence and say, well, I know some mockers. I know some I know some people like that and they deserve what's coming to them. Well, you know what? You deserved what was coming to you, too. But guess what? God had mercy on you. There's not a single person in this world that I would like to see go to hell. There is not one person. I don't care terrorist or anything. I don't want to see them go to hell. I don't. I want to see everybody. And in fact, the Bible says in first Peter that that Jesus doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The fact of the matter is, is that there are people that will go there, but it is not because God wanted them to go there. Nobody that's in hell can say God sent me here. They chose. They made a choice. Nobody that's in heaven can say, well, hey, I, I, I got my I got myself. Here. I did. No, you accepted Jesus. You made the choice to accept Jesus. Eternity is your choice. God's so loving that he puts that into our hands. I'm glad that he didn't create billions of robots that do exactly what he said. He gave us free choice. And so it's up to you. But I feel sorry for people right now that think they're so wise 
and so clever and smarter than God and they've got all this figured out. They don't because there is a day coming where they're going to have to answer to God. And that's not going to be something to see. And so, you know, this one verse out of this passage really sticks out to me, though. Verse 20, it says, what sorrow for those who call evil good and good evil. I see this all around me. People that things that we've called, you know, that's obviously evil. They're like, no, that's not evil. That's good. That's a good thing. Or things that have been good for generations and thousands of years. And the Bible says this is a good thing. They're saying, no, that's not good. That's bad. Do you see this? I see this and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a sign of what the Bible told us about. And I'll give you a perfect example. You know, I was watching. Well, I, I saw this, you know, I, I, I'm not watching a whole lot of the news, but I, I saw this lady at this protest a few weeks ago. She held up this sign that said, if Mary had had an abortion, we would not be in any of this mess. I'm like, oh, no, I'm just going to stand back from her. If she's over, I'm going to go over you know, I don't know usually like that, but if you have the audacity to say that Jesus Christ should have been aborted, that is pure evil. And yet I see people standing up. Oh, that's good. That's deep. That's she's on to something right there. We're seeing this, guys, and I and it, it is so real right now. It just got real. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I am on the board of the Barstow Pregnancy Center and so is Miss Patty. And I'm not I'm not ashamed of that, that I totally believe that no human being ever should be killed for any reason. I a, a zillion percent pro life. And, and this is zero, zero, nothing political about this. All this is common morals and Bible sense. But, I, you know, we live in this day and age when people call evil good. Since 1973, the United States has killed nearly 59 million babies. Our population is 300 million. We've killed off a large percentage of our population. And again, if you're going to politics right now, bye bye. I don't I don't need to talk to you. But if you're going to think about morals and what the Bible says, right, we've killed nearly 60 million human beings. That's disgusting. Currently, there's about 3000 abortions per day. And this isn't my this isn't my topic of my sermon, but I'm just pointing out that people are saying, no, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. No, that's an evil thing that an innocent human being would die. And then, of course, we hear people say, well, what about the, the I, I believe that there's no ever any cause or reason to, you know, to have this. And I don't condemn anybody that has nobody's nobody's judged here for that. But but I do uh, I do think it's silly when we say, well, what about, you know, the life of the mother or rape? Well, less than one percent of an abortion is because of the health risk to the mother. And incest accounts for zero point zero zero one percent of all abortions and rape less than zero point zero five percent. And so, I mean, basically ninety nine point something percent are out of convenience. And that's wrong. Do you think Jesus looks down and says, you know what, that's good. They're, they're, no, that's awful. Sixty million people. Think of what we could have had out of this, man. Think of the doctors and the, you know, the preachers that we could have had right now. I mean, we may have killed off, the, you know, the, the next Billy Graham. We may have killed off the person that had the, the cure for cancer or AIDS or something. We killed them. That's awful. There's not one good thing about this. And even now, right now in the United States, 16.7% of all pregnancies end in abortion. And in New York City, 37.4%. 37% of the pregnancies in New York City are ended in abortion. That's awful. There's nothing good. There's not any, any positive thing you could, you could put on that. And so, again, I'm going to get off of the abortion topic right now. But I, I, I'll just say this, is that we live in a day and age where I know people are like, that's a good thing right there. That's good. No, that's evil. What sorrow for those who call evil good and good evil, who call light dark and dark light, who call bittersweet and sweet bitter. There is not a good thing about that at all. And yet we're surrounded by people that say, no, no, you're, you're wrong. That's a good thing. That's a bad thing. That's evil. And we have people celebrating this even to the point of saying, man, I wish Jesus had been aborted. Then we would have to put up with all this stuff. That's wrong and that's evil. And we live in this generation. But there is good news about this. 
there is good news in here and that the last several years, abortions have majorly been on the decline in the United States, going way, way down. And and the crazy thing is, is, you know, somehow I, it's God, our, our generation of millennials are coming more and more against abortion. And I'm like, wow, if any generation ever. But we're seeing this. And so there is an awakening coming. It's coming. And you maybe see just little trickles, little baby steps, but it's on the way. And and I'm, I'm so excited to see what God's doing. And so I do want to say this. The more love that we show, the more that God can use us. The more love that we show, the more that God can use us in the midst of all this craziness. There is a desire developing for something more. Does anybody else sense a hunger and this, you know, among, I know people right now that have, I mean, they've been, you know, spiritually dead as a, as a doorknob for, you know, ever since I've known them. But I know people right now that are starting to say, man, I just, there's, there's gotta be something more than this. There's got, I, I, I don't feel complete. I just, I feel empty. I feel shallow. I don't feel right. And that's God tugging you when you don't feel right and you know you're not right with God. You are a miserable person. That's an awful existence to know on the inside that I am not right with God because you were created to have a relationship with God. And until that relationship exists, you will never feel okay. You will never feel right. You will feel empty until the day that you die, until you make peace with God. And there are people all over the place right now that are looking to make peace with God. And so the more love that we show these people, the more that God can use us. I have no desire for any harm or anything to anybody. That's awful. Absolutely not. I want to see every single person go to heaven. I mean, everybody. And even, as I said, First Peter said, God's not willing that any should perish. He wants everybody to come into everlasting life. Everybody. But the truth of the matter is that not everybody goes there. But when we love people and we, we show grace and we show mercy just like Jesus showed us, He can use us. He can use us to win people in. And so, the second thing we're going to say today is this, is that we need to get people into the ark. And this is, I don't know why, but this analogy of the ark is something that God's been speaking to a lot of us lately. And one reason is this, is that in Luke 17 and in Matthew 24, Jesus said, before the Son of Man returns, it'll be as it was in the days of Noah. So he said, people will be out partying, people will be out doing their thing. And then all of a sudden the flood came and it was too late. Well, Jesus said, that's, it's going to be just like that before I come back. People are going to be, you know, doing their thing, partying, making money, living their lives. And then boom, out of nowhere, this flood comes and it's too late. And so... I believe that it's perfectly accurate and it's a perfect example to say that right now, I don't know when, but I do know that there will be a flood coming, so to speak. And by flood, I mean there will be a day of judgment coming. And anybody that's inside of the ark of God's safety and protection, they're going to be okay. Anybody that's outside of the ark, they're not going to be okay. I want everybody in there. And so let me show you. Let's flip back and study this story a little bit. Let's look at probably the most familiar Bible story that there is. Let's look at the story of Noah's Ark. Genesis chapter six. Man, I bet everybody in here, you know, you know a little bit about Noah's Ark. This old dude with a long beard and white hair takes all these little animals on a boat, right? It's cute. So Genesis chapter six. No, I put it this way. Whether you believe it or not, you do have a duty to tell other people about Jesus. I'm going to say that again because I went over a lot of heads. But check this out. Whether you believe it or not, you do have an obligation to tell other people about Jesus. There is not one person in this room that is not called to tell other people about Jesus. Every one of us, we have a duty. We have an obligation to tell other people about Jesus, just like Noah had this call on his life. And, you know, I I also put it this way. What if you had secret inside information that a major national catastrophe was going to strike and you you had very reliable resources? I mean, you knew for sure that this is going to happen. You don't know exactly when, but you do know that it's coming. 
Would you just keep that to yourself? You know, I should probably tell somebody, but I don't want to sound weird. You know, I want to be one of those weird people. I, I, I'm just going to keep this to myself, and I just I hope for the best. Listen, if I knew something was going to happen, and I had reliable information that there was a disaster coming, I'd tell everybody I could find. Listen, I don't know the exact day, but this is coming, and we've got to get ready. Come with me right now. Uh, just go get in this boat with me, you know. You know, come over here. And, and I would bring them to a place of safety the best that I could, right? And I wouldn't care if I sounded weird. If I saved their life, they won't be making fun of you when the flood comes and they're on the boat, will they? You may get some weird looks right now like, man, he's a fanatic. Yes, I am. I am very, I am crazy. Absolutely. But guess what? I'm not going to die in the flood. I'll still be alive. My kids are going to make it. And I mean, you guys can laugh from the outside then, but we're going to be in the ark and the place of safety. And so guess what? Noah, he started building this big old boat. And I don't I need to get into the verses here, but he starts building this man. There's mockers all around. Hey, Noah, what you doing? Building a boat. <laughs> but why? It's going to rain. Water is going to fall from the sky. What are you Noah, are you serious? They made fun of the man for years and years and years. And he kept saying, you know what? There's plenty of room for more. You guys come on in. But guess what? When the flood came, none of them made it. Only Noah and his family did. And nobody was mocking Noah or making fun of him at that point. Everybody believed in God at that point. Everybody did. Just like someday every knee is going to bow. But Genesis chapter 6, let's look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Everything. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Isn't that terrible to say that you broke God's heart? That he's, he's re, you made God remorseful? But everybody was evil, wicked and evil. And look here at verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. If you remember last week, several of the verses we looked at all had this key word in common. We kept seeing this word righteous everywhere. You know, blessed are the those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Then we saw in James 5.16 last week that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. And here we are, we see again that Noah was a righteous man. Righteous means being in right standing with God. So apparently there's something really important about being in right standing with God. And it says right here that Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And so let me skip down here to verses 17 and 18. So you also saw that he walked in close fellowship with God. When you walk in close fellowship with God, God will literally talk to you. And to some people, that's mind blowing and sounds really, really weird. But if you if you know God, well, that's not weird at all. God will talk to you. And I'm, I'm not talking about a booming voice out of the sky, although that could happen. It's never happened to me, but it could. But God will speak to your heart. And you absolutely know when God speaks to your heart, you know it. And so Noah walked in such close fellowship with God. I don't know that if he heard this voice, you know, with his physical ears or if God was just speaking to him in his heart. Either way, he listened. And that's a really good thing. But look at verses 17 and 18. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat. You and your wife and your sons and their wives. And so the truth of the matter is this, is that God always has a way of saving the righteous when catastrophe and judgment comes. God doesn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. You can look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, God had to do something because it was so wicked. But God kept saying, you know, Abraham kept saying, all right, if we find 20 people, can I hear 20, 20, 15, 15, 20, 15, 25, 25, 25, And, you know, it's not like an auctioneer until finally he gets down to five people. There's not even five good people in the whole town. And so God says, no, I'm sorry, I can't go any lower than five. Get your family and get out because it's coming. And then, of course, God judged the city. But God always gets the righteous out of the way. And so am I afraid of some judgment coming down and, and hurting me? And my, I'm not afraid at all. I'm terrified for people around me. Absolutely. 
But I'm not afraid of, of you know, no, not at all, because God always pulls and snatches the righteous out before the judgment comes. And we know from studying the New Testament that before he comes back, to re- he's going to rescue, he's going to rescue the church before this tribulation period begins. All right. And so here we are. He's rescuing the righteous and you have an obligation to tell the world about Jesus. It's not even that's not debatable. You do. It's your duty and it's it's your obligation. You you have to tell people about Jesus. You have to. And, I, you know, and I, we don't say things that straightforward all the time. But it's just at this point, let's just quit beating around the bush and quit blowing smoke here. You have to tell people about Jesus, especially people that, you know, probably aren't going to make it when judgment day comes. You, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. But part of the problem we have is this, is that so often we're thinking about it and like, well, I want to tell them about this stuff, but I've never seen the flood. I've never seen the judgment. I mean, they've been saying Jesus has come. I've never seen it. So I, I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to describe something that I've never seen. Let me put it this way. It had never rained. Noah had never seen rain before. And then God says, build this giant boat because water is going to fall from the sky. And this is mind blowing because up until that point in time, according to Genesis chapter two, the earth was watered by water coming up out of the ground. That's, you know, it says every day, the Lord caught every day. That's how he watered this earth. And here we are. God tells no something that's totally unbelievable and says water is going to fall out of the sky this time. And Noah's going around telling people this and he looks like a yo-yo. You know what I mean? Hey guys, water's going to fall out of the sky and you got to get on this big boat that I'm building or you're going to die. Just, it's going to come from the sky and people are like, man, you are a fool. You're crazy. That, that doesn't make any sense. I don't believe it. And Noah had never seen a drop of water fall from the sky. Uh, Hebrews 11 tells us that God warned Noah about things that he had never yet seen. And Noah's going around telling people they're making fun of him and mocking him. But guess what? He still did it anyway, even though he had never seen a drop of rain in his life. And so you're sitting here saying, well, I've been told Jesus is going to come back my whole life. I've never seen it. I've been I've been told about the flood and about the judgment. I've never seen it. That doesn't matter if you've seen it. That doesn't change the fact that it's true because the Bible is true, whether you believe it or not. God doesn't need your approval and say, all right, I can finally publish this. I've been sitting on this for a couple thousand years now. Send this to the publishers because Mike finally he approved it. I got I got him to write off on it. No, it's true whether you believe it or not. And it's going to happen. And so Noah had never seen rain before in his entire life. Yet he built a great big giant boat that was bigger than a football field. A huge, huge, huge boat. And so uh, look at chapter seven, verses 16 through 20. Does anyone want to see the happy ending of Noah's Ark? Well, we're not going to read the, the, the rainbow part today. I'm sorry. But, no, we do love rainbows. But Genesis chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. A male and a female of, every, of each kind enter just as God had commanded Noah. But I want to get to this last sentence here. It says, then the Lord closed the door behind them. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface, safely. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. That's a lot of water. You look earlier in chapter seven there, it says that the the ground waters of the earth burst open and then the skies broke. And then it came from both angles. And within 40 days time, there were over 29,000 feet of water because Mount Everest is 29,029 feet tall. And it says it was however many feet above the highest peaks on the earth. That is a lot of water. That's catastrophic. That's massive within 40 days time. But I want to the, the thing that out of those verses right there that absolutely just grips me and gets me is in verse 16, that last sentence, it says the Lord closed the door behind them. You know, they didn't close that door. No, Noah didn't have, you know, a crank on there. Well, it's time, guys. Let's just close this big, you know, hook up some elephants to the door. and cl- No, it says God decided it was time and God closed the door. There was years of warning, years of warning. OK, 
Uh, we know Noah was worked at least 70 years on the ark, probably more than that. But he was working and working on this, warning people, hammer and nails, warning people and all this stuff. People weren't listening. They had tons of warning, but there came a day when God said, today is the day I'm done. Close the door and God closed the door. And you've got to know when God closes the door, the door is closed. It is too late. And then judgment comes. I mean, this this sounds, you know, so harsh and so me, but I'm so serious right now that this is burning on the inside of me that that I see people that they're not inside of the ark. And I know that I don't know the day. I don't know the hour, but I know that the day's coming soon when God's going to say it's time. I got to close this down. I'm closing the door and then the flood's going to come. And there's going to be a lot of people that are not in there. They're not prepared. They're not in the place of safety. And I'm concerned about that. I don't like that. I'm not okay with this. This, this, I hate this. That I know people that, that they're, as of right now, they wouldn't make it. I know they wouldn't. And again, you can say, well, how can you judge that? Well, the Bible says you can judge a tree by its fruit. Somebody goes around doing wicked things all the time. They're probably not a born again Christian. Probably not. And, you know, even if they've a church member or anything else, it's just, Jesus said, hey, you can judge a tree by its fruit. If it's growing apples, it's an apple tree. Don't sit there and say, I wonder if that's a banana tree. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I, it, 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 it always produces this apples, but I'm just wondering if possibly deep down it could be a banana tree. No, you judge a tree by its fruit. Somebody goes around acting like a fool all the time and wicked and doing all this stuff. Listen, they're not a Christian. And I don't feel bad about saying that. That's just the absolute truth. And I know a lot of people that probably think that they're going to make it. And and I'm just I'm not so sure right now. And I'm not okay with this. And so when God closes the door, it's closed. And so for all of us, we have this obligation to get people to a place of safety. Now, God is probably not asking everybody in here to, you know, be a full time preacher and quit your job right now and, you know, go go you know, to Bible school and, you know, probably not. He, he could be. I don't know you, but he could be. But he's, he's probably not asking everybody in here to do that. But what he is asking is just tell the people around you that I'm real. Tell them that I love them and that there's a day coming when everybody's going to have to make a choice. You need to make that, make that choice now. And we're so serious about this. That in a couple of weeks on March 5th, the first Sunday of March, we're literally having a bring a friend Sunday. We did not do this because that'd be kind of cute. What if we all brought our friends in here? That'd be sweet. We'd have cookies afterwards and some tea. That'd be, that'd be cute. Let's bring all of our friends and have a, you know, big love fest. No, that's no, we did this so you could have the perfect excuse and opportunity to bring people to church. This is so easy. Say, hey, my church is having to bring a friend Sunday. In fact, I think I got a little. We've made it so easy. Man, you don't even have to know what to say. Just hand them this little card. Okay? We've got a bunch of these back there in the info booth. This is so easy. Even a caveman can do this. Even a monkey could come up and hand somebody a card. You don't really, this doesn't require that high of a level of boldness or guts to do this. But. We're so serious about people getting to the place of safety and an awakening taking place that all you have to do is this is say, man, my church is having to bring a friend, Sonny. There's information on here. Why don't you go to church with me that day? It'd be a great time. Boom. Your job at that point is done. Get them in here and then we will gladly preach to them, pray for them, whatever else needs to be done to them. Cast the devil out. I don't know, but whatever, whatever it is that they need. Just get them in here, man, and give it a chance. There's nothing weird about that. They invite you to stuff, don't they? I still have people that invite me to do stupid things. You know, hey, man, we go out and get a beer. I mean, I've, I've still even had the last few years, I had people invite me to do dumb stuff like that. And so I have, I am not afraid at all to say, no, do you want to go to church with me? I don't, I don't feel bad about that at all, man. And so here is your chance, March 5th. Bring a friend Sunday. This is not so we can, oh, it's a scheme to get the church bigger. No, this is to get people to a place of safety so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and give their lives to Jesus. Who's going to bring a friend on March 5th? Yeah, yes, you are. If your hands on up, yes, you are. And if you don't have any friends, well, you have two weeks to go make friends. I don't know how you're going to do it, but take some Play-Doh and some cookies and it's easy to make friends that way. So just figure it out. But. Go, go make some friends somehow really quick. And we're going to bring them to church. So 
That's March 5th. And, you know, one of the things is this. A lot of times, even just talking to people about Jesus, people are like, well, man, what if what if what if they don't like it? What if what if I offend them? What if they make fun of me? Listen, people make fun of me and people don't care about offending me pretty much every day of the week. All right. People people do things every day that I don't like. I'm talking about people in the world. Now, I'm, and my kids, too, but that's beside the point. OK, yesterday, one of my kids put a cup of ramen soup in the microwave for two minutes with no water and just put the bowl and <laughs> caught on fire. There were flames in my kitchen. Ah, oh, and my whole house still smells like there was a house fire. Ramen, just never, never put ramen. You gotta put, add water first and then open the lid. It catches on fire if you don't. So, but people do things every day that I mean, I just really don't approve of and don't like. But I'm not gonna let that stop me from going out and, and sharing the love of God. And you gotta know that, I mean, yeah, Jesus rubs some people the wrong way. He does. And that's okay. Because the gospel in and of itself tells you that, man, listen, you're going to have to change your life. You're going to have to quit doing some of the things you've been doing and start doing some of these things. And some people, they're so prideful and so arrogant and so full of themselves. They're like, man, I, I'm not going to do that. You kidding me? No, that, that, no. Who, who, who's going to tell me what to do? And until they can lay that down, man, they're not going to see the kingdom of God. But that's not your job to decide whether or not people are going to accept and receive Jesus. It's just your job to go tell them about it. And then you've done your part. And so you, I, I can't stress this enough. You have an obligation to tell people about Jesus. I mean, if you don't tell them about Jesus, you're, you're still going to go to heaven, but listen to me. I don't want to get up there and, and, and stand before the Lord because everybody stands before God someday. Everybody. I don't want to get up there and him have to say, why would you not do what I told you to do, man? I'm glad you're here. You, you made it. But why? why? Why wouldn't you tell people? You know, your brother, he's not here. Guess what? That guy you worked with, he didn't make it, man. I was asking you to go tell him. Why wouldn't you do it? Now, I do not want to be in that boat. What is your excuse going to be to Jesus? I was busy. I, I, I thought that maybe he wouldn't like me anymore. I thought they'd make fun of me. I thought they'd label me as a... You know, as, as a radical, I thought they'd say that I was crazy and that I was, uh, and Jesus is going to say, I don't want to hear it, man. Come on in. And you're going to get there, but that's going to be a very uncomfortable conversation with Jesus when we have to answer for why we refuse to tell people about him. And it comes down to this. I am not embarrassed about Jesus. I'm not embarrassed about Jesus. He healed me of cancer. He saved my life. He he's he's brought joy and peace to my life in the darkest moments when nobody or no thing could. Why would I be embarrassed about that? I'm not ashamed of that at all. I'm proud of that, that Jesus did that for me. And I have absolutely no problem telling you or anybody else about it. That is not shameful. This is a good thing. They'll call evil good and good evil. But I'm telling you now, this is a good thing to tell people about Jesus, because point number three is this. Jesus is coming. And I believe this with everything within me, that there is a day coming when Jesus Christ will come down from heaven, just like he went up to heaven and say, it's time. Let's go. It's over. Let's go. I believe that that day is coming. And this is either the best news you've heard all day or the scariest, depending on how you're, you know, if you're right with God or not. This could be terrifying, but. I'm not afraid of this. I'm I'm so excited. And, you know, the more that I see crazy things going on in the world, I'm like, Lord, can it be right now? Can today be the day? Please, please. But, you know, it's 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 God, the father's choice. But let me show you this verse that every time I read this, man, I just does something to me. Joel, chapter three, Joel, chapter three, verse 14. So Joel's back here in the Old Testament towards the end of the Old Testament. But Joel chapter 3, verse 14. And this verse just, every time I read it, oh, it just, it, it, it tears me. Joel chapter 3, verse 14. And it's because I know a lot of people that are in this place right now. Joel 3, verse 14. It says, thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. But it's there that the day of the Lord will soon arrive. There's a lot of people right now 
that they're in what the Bible calls the valley of decision. They're like, I don't, I mean, I, I, I kind of believe this. I, I, I want to commit. I just, I don't know right now. And, and they're back and forth. They're, they're this close. They're in the valley of decision, but it says it's right there that the day of the Lord will arrive while they're still trying to make up their mind whether they want to do this or not. It's right there that the day of the Lord arrives. And when the day of the Lord arrives, that's when the door closes and it's too late at that point. Don't be in this valley of decision. You know, I, I heard this story. The devil and, and some of his buddies got together and they were going to try to find the best way possible to get people, you know, to to not go to heaven and to continue on their path to, to darkness, down to hell. And so they're together and they're meeting and one of the guys says, I've got it. Let's just tell everybody there's no God. There's no God. Let's spread that lie around. And then everybody kind of met on that and said, well, most people have a belief of some sort of supreme being. I don't think that just a flat out, there's no God's going to do the trick. And then somebody else says, well, let's just tell people that there's no hell. And so they all get together and they're meeting about this. And another person, another one of the devil's buddies says, well, I don't think that's going to work because most people have some sort of belief that there is a judgment for doing wrong. And so finally, when they thought all hope was lost, this one from the back of the room speaks up and says, I've got it. I've got the perfect idea. Let's tell them there is God. There is a hell. And the Bible's true. But they've got plenty of time to make their decision on whether they want to follow him or not. Because I know that when most people delay making a decision for Jesus, they usually never make the decision. This is the perfect plan. And guess what? You know, this is obviously a fictional story, but... If this were real, this plan is working brilliantly because I know a lot of people that, yeah, I believe in God. But do you know that just acknowledging that God is real does not get you to heaven? It's calling upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 13 and Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we will confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's God's son, and that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Just acknowledging the existence of God doesn't get you to heaven confessing and believing that Jesus Christ is Lord is what gets you to heaven. And so there's so many people that they're in the valley of decision right now and they, for whatever reason, are not making a choice. But it's right there that the day of the Lord arrives and then it's too late. And so if you aren't convinced that Jesus is coming, you have no urgency to help those in the valley of decision. You have got to get the, and it's a popular belief right now. I've seen it. I, even Christians that I know, even some pastors that I know believe this, you know, believe it or not, have a belief that the rapture of the church is not a real thing. But that's something that Christians have made up within the last 150 years. Yet what's funny is that we have writings from a thousand years ago of people believing in the rapture. But anyway, it's absolutely in the Bible, man. It's going to happen whether you believe it or not. And so. Until you believe that Jesus is coming back and that heaven and hell are real, you're not going to have any urgency. You're just going to be the type of person that says, I'm okay. I've got money. I've got a job. I've got a family. I'm fine. What do I need to worry about everybody else and pry into their business? I don't want to be like that. Well, listen, I don't want to be in your shoes when you have that conversation with Jesus someday. I want to get up there and Jesus say, man, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You did what I told you to do. That's not going to say, I'm not saying he's going to say, man, you were perfect. You a hundred percent, man, you were batting a thousand. No, nobody's going to be that. But I want to get up there and Jesus say, you did what I told you to do. Come on in, man. Come in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And that's the words that I want to hear. But if you are not convinced that Jesus is coming, you don't take this seriously. Turn to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25. And now I will readily admit that I'm not an expert on end times theology or eschatology, if you want the technical term. But I do know a little bit. I have studied a little bit. And I can tell you this. That in studying end times, Bible prophecy, there's a few countries that the Bible nonstop points out to that will be major players in the end times, right before Jesus comes back. Every person that knows anything about end times teaching all agrees that 
Russia, all the Arab nations, Iran, Iraq, all of them, and, of course, Israel. All of these three countries, out of all the countries in the world, it says these, this handful of countries are going to be the ones that start, you know, that are going to be in the news right before Jesus comes back. And I don't, I mean, it, you've got to understand that this is all in the news right now, right? You hear about Russia every day, right? I'm not making this up. You know, you, you, you hear about all these other countries over there. And then, of course, you hear about Israel. And the Bible talks about other countries turning their back on Israel and, and ganging up on them and all this stuff. Well, my God, in December, what happened? The whole United Nations turned on Israel. And even the United States wouldn't back them up, which is terrifying to me that we would not back them up. But here they are. They, you know, they, Jerusalem is the city of the Lord, man. Jerusalem uh, is, is the city of David. It's the city of Jesus. And he said, I'm coming back right there to the Mount of Olives. I'm coming back in Jerusalem. And, and, and so Israel has this total right to do whatever they want. And, but, you know, I'm not getting into the news and all this, but listen to me. Just two months ago, all these nations gave them and said, you can't keep building stuff in Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria is the technical area there. You can't keep building stuff right there. And so they all voted and decided, no, you got to no, you, you can't do that. That's that's crazy. But the Bible said this stuff is going to happen right before Jesus came back. What more do you need to convince you that the Bible's true? What more? What possibly more could you need? I mean, we could go through thing after thing after thing to, you know, to, to keep proving this. But this stuff that Jesus said was going to happen right before he comes is happening even right now. The day's coming. And so in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this story of the ten bridesmaids, or the King James would call it the ten, ten virgins. But Jesus told a story about ten bridesmaids. Five were foolish and five were wise. They all had these oil lamps because the groom was coming and, you know, they didn't know when he was coming. They, they didn't know. They just knew that he was coming. Kind of like, I don't know when Jesus is coming. I just know that he is coming. And so, you know, they've got this message. Be prepared. He's going to come. Just be prepared. And so they all have these lamps, you know, lanterns. And five of them, they're totally prepared. They're like, okay, let's bring extra oil just in case he's delayed or something. And the others are like, well, you know, let's not worry about details. Let's just, you know, hey, whatever happens, happens. And they have that attitude. Well, guess what? He is delayed. He doesn't come right when they think he's going to come. But something else happens. Matthew chapter 25 and verse six. It says at midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. They're like, oh, we're not prepared. Please, can we can we just tag along with you? But look at this. But the others replied, we don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. And so there's a lot of people right when the door's about closed, right when it's there. They're, oh, I, I changed my mind. And of course, God is merciful. But listen, when the door is closed, it's closed. And look at this. Look at this. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Oh, no. He came while they were gone. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. The door got shut. The door got locked. What do you think happened to these foolish ones? Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the doors for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must be you must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. And so there's a lot of people right now that they're totally prepared. They're good on their own, but the people around them are not. And if the day came right now, it would not turn out well. And man, maybe you're here and you're like, I've heard all this. I'm raised in church. I know there's judgment. I know you got to call the name of the Lord. That's not my, my point today. I know most of you. My point today isn't to get all of you saved because I know most of you, I know almost all of you, so I'm convinced that most of you are saved. I get that. My point today is this, is you have got to take it seriously that you've got to start 
getting people into the ark of safety. That's my point. Out of everything I've said, that's what I want to get to you today is this, is that you've got to wake up. There's got to be an awakening. You have got to take it seriously and you cannot be okay that people around you are going to hell. You have got to do something about this. You've got to do something about it. I don't know what else to say. You've got to do something about this. Because there's coming a day when we're all going to stand before the Lord and nobody's going to be able to argue their way into heaven and say, I was really good down there. I know I never fully made that commitment. I know I never fully chose to, to, to confess to you, but I did a lot of good things. I gave to a lot of charities. I helped a lot of poor. I, I did a lot of things. And he's going to say, depart. I never knew you. I don't even know you. And like that sounds so harsh, but it's absolutely true. You have got a job to do. Start taking it seriously. It's as serious as anything, as, as serious as you take your employment, as serious as you take your job. I would argue that this is even more serious. Don't quit your job. No, I'm not. But what I am saying is you have got to get real with this. You've got to take it serious. And so the danger with being a lukewarm Christian is that you are well on your way to being cold and calloused. That's the lot. I'm just going to almost leave it right there. And there's a lot of people, yeah, you're, you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but, well, you've received Him as your Savior, but you haven't really made Him Lord. And you're living a lukewarm lifestyle. And you're like, well, what's the big idea about being lukewarm? That's better than being totally cold, right? Well, Jesus said, I'd rather be hot or cold, Revelation 3, because if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. The danger with being a lukewarm Christian is that you're already halfway there to being cold and callous. You're already halfway out of the church. You're already halfway out of releasing Jesus out of your life. You're halfway there, man. You've got one foot in and one foot out. It's not going to take that much more to get you all the way out. That is dangerous. And so look at your life today like I've been doing to my life. And if you can say, man, I don't think that I've been where I need to be I've been lukewarm. I've been half-baked. I've been kind of cold. Listen to me. If you can look at your life and say, I am not at the level that I need to be at, quit fooling around. Quit playing around. This is not the hour for people that don't take God seriously. Sign up for the full-time. Sign up for the active duty and get yourself awake and do your job. I don't want anybody that I know to go to hell. And I, God forbid, don't want to stand before Jesus and Him say, man, you remember that guy over there? He didn't make it. He's in hell now. I wish you would have said something. That would be, that's my worst nightmare. And I am not going to let that happen. Anybody within my realm of influence, I'm going to do my part to tell them about Jesus And all I'm saying is this, as we close, is the easiest thing you can do is get someone to church on March. That is the, I mean, easiest thing. That's easier than figuring out where you're going to eat for lunch today. To hand a card to somebody that doesn't already go to a church and invite them to church. There's nothing easier than this. Get them into the ark because the day is coming. The door will be closed and then it's too late. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.